I'm so excited about this new series we're going to start. But I need to share with you what I feel like the Lord put in my heart this morning in my office. See, I don't, I don't know what you're here with. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're walking through. But I need you to just remember this, this one truth. The same God that spoke the world into existence, the same God that created all that there is, the same God that formed you is here among us today. So I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what challenge that you're experiencing. I don't know what difficulty you might be having in your life. I don't know. You know, so often we walk into the, the church building, we paint on a smile. We see our friends, we see those that we hang out with, and, and we paint on a smile. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm good. And, and, and maybe that's, that's not altogether truthful. So I don't know what you're here struggling with. I don't know what trial you're walking through. I don't know what difficulty you're here with. But I just want to remind you of this one very powerful passage of Scripture that the Lord laid on my heart this morning But before we get started. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says this. Just listen. That the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are completely His. So whatever you're walking through this morning, how many, if this passage is true, and I believe it is, God's looking for you. His eyes are searching for someone to strengthen, someone to undergird with His power and His goodness. And so maybe that's you today. And if it is, I just want to, at the onset of this service, to encourage you and to let you know that God's looking for you. His eyes are on you. Maybe you're watching online and I, I need you to hear that even right there in your living room, right there in, uh, you're watching on a computer screen, you're watching on your smart TV, you're watching on your phone, that the eyes of the Lord have found you this morning. They're on you. He's going to undergird you with strength and he's going to surround you with his beautiful presence if you'll lean in. So I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that God would encourage you, that would, he would undergird you with his strength and his power. And that you would, through the authority and the power of his word, be encouraged as we, as we have our service today, as you leave, as you start your week next week. Some of you are going back to school, some of you are teachers, some of you are students, and got a lot of stuff going on this week. Here's what I want you to know. The eyes of the Lord searching for those whose heart are completely His so He can undergird you and He can strengthen you this morning. God's eyes are on you. Will you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you for your presence that we have sensed, your presence that we recognize in our so sure that is real and powerful. God, thank you for the promise that your eyes search the whole earth looking for somebody to strengthen. God, thank you you found Dwayne today. You can strengthen me. God, thank you that you found my, my friends that are in this room that are watching online. And, and God, you, you're going to strengthen and undergird them with your power and grace as only you can in this place today we are anxious we anxiously anticipate 
what you're going to speak into our hearts this morning. Because your word is real, and your word is powerful, and your word is true. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So we're starting this series called uh, on the book of James. My wife asked me yesterday, she said, what are we calling this series? I said, the book of James. Isn't that clever? Isn't that unique and, and just cool? Yes, it's like the Washington football team. Yes, I love that. That's so, my wife loves that. The book of James. And so here we go. And, and you know, we, if you've been hanging around LifePoint for a little while, you know that once or twice a year we just take a book of the Bible and try to unpack it as much as we can in a few weeks. And I'm going to tell you a couple of truths about the book of James over the next uh, you know, a few weeks, but I promise you that I won't be able to tell you all of it, okay? So that's why we have encouraged you to start with us a, a Book of James Bible reading plan. I'm going to tell you how you find it right away. Um, if you'll scan that QR code on the top right-hand corner of your bulletin, it'll take you to our YouVersion Bible app, and on down under the notes, there's a link to that plan, and it's the book of James is five chapters. You can read it start to finish literally in about 20 to 25 minutes. And so what we're going to ask you to do is to jump in and read that with us over the next four weeks. Okay? If you can read it in 20 minutes, surely you can find 20 minutes in four weeks. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so I want you to do that. I want you to, to find that plan, and if you have trouble finding it, Shoot us something on the website or shoot us something on, on email or Facebook and let us know that you're having trouble finding it. In fact, here's what I'm going to do for you. On my Facebook page this afternoon or the LifePoint page, I'll, I'll find that link and I'll post it up there. I want everybody that will to join that Bible reading plan with us over the next few weeks. I promise you it won't, it, it, it's, it's short, but it, there's so much truth in the book of James. So we're going to jump right in. James chapter 1 verse 12 says this. This is kind of will kind of encompass what we're going to talk about over the next little while. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test. Anybody ever felt like you've been tested? Just me and Kathy Maxey. Just Anybody ever felt like you've been tested? Okay. We're going to talk about that uh, over the next little bit. I want to tell you one of the things that make me love the book of James. There's a couple things. Uh, all right, so i, I got to take you back to the 80s. All right, so I give my heart to the Lord, and I, I struggled a little bit with one particular area. I listened to some not Christian music. And, and just so you know, and, and I don't mean this, you know, to, to hurt anybody's feelings, but the music in the 70s and the 80s, especially the rock and roll music of the 70s and 80s, was so much better than it is now. <laughs> Just laying that out there. And, you know, you have your right to your own opinion no matter how wrong it is. But that was just, it's just true. And, uh, and I'm not saying all secular music is bad, and you guys know how I feel about that. But there was, I listened to some trashy stuff, okay? I listened to some stuff you just, that Jesus-loving teenagers didn't need to listen to. And so I'm trying, to I'm trying to replace it with other stuff, and I just wasn't about Wendy Bagwell and the Sunlighters. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. It just wasn't my thing. And so uh, somebody gave me this. All right, some of y'all aren't going to understand what this is. 
we used to have these things called cassette tapes. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and so somebody gave me a cassette of a guy by the name of Leon Patillo. Y'all never heard Leon Patillo. Leon Patillo sang for uh, a band called Santana. Now, some of y'all probably heard Santana. He sang for Santana back in the 70s, and he gave his heart to the Lord and has this beautiful testimony. And so on this cassette, he's sharing his testimony. He makes this statement that just captured my attention. I had no idea it was the Bible. I just thought this was Leon's testimony. It was cool. And he said these words, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the Lord spoke to me in that testimony. And I thought, man, that's, there's a lot of truth in that. Leon got it going on. Leon knows what he's talking about. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so I, I began to go on a search to be a single-minded man. Found out sometime later as my pastor's preaching and quotes that scripture. And I'm like, oh, that was in the Bible. It's in the book of James. And, and that just, I, I fell in love with the book of James, even as a, as a young uh, believer. Because here's, here's the best way I can describe the book of James to you. Um, if, you're, if you're familiar with the Old Testament book of Proverbs, that's just like nugget after nugget of just wisdom and real-life stuff. James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. And if you'll, no kidding, you can read it in 20 minutes, and you'll go, wow, that's good. Wow, that's good. That's good stuff. And, and here's the underlying theme of the whole book, all right? You ready? I'm going to give it to you in, in, in the first two points that I'm, you're going to write down today. Write this down because here's... The book of James answers this question, is Christianity about what I believe or about what I do? James is going to answer that question. We're going to answer that together over the next few weeks. Because the truth of the matter is, some people get caught up in one of those two areas. We, we struggle with, am, am I believing right? And we get so caught up in the am I believing right, we forget that there's something that as believers we're supposed to do and 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 here's the other pro problem there some people get caught up in the do and don't and, and, and don't have their beliefs right in fact i got messed up because i was so bound with the do part of my early christianity in other words well i got to do this and it was really the do's and don'ts of the early you know what i'm saying is like I, I can do this but i can't do that and i can't i can't do that but i can do this and I, I figured out that if it was fun or it made me smile, it was probably sin. So I got caught up in that whole, that whole thing. So what we're going to answer over the next few weeks is, how, how do we reconcile those two things? Is it what I believe or is it about what I do? What James does in, in, in the whole book is he challenges compartmentalized faith. Let me tell you what I mean by that. And, and I'm afraid that this is very true of our current culture. That my faith is about, let me say it like this, we want to take our faith, we want to take Jesus and add him to all the other stuff of our life. I'm going to add Jesus to my job and add Jesus to my family and add Jesus to my career and add Jesus to my education and add Jesus to my hobbies. And, and here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll say, well, my, the Jesus part, that's my Sunday part, and, I, 
And after Sunday's over, I can put him over here on the shelf, and then I can go to the other parts. And James is going, if that's, if that's the kind of world you're living in right now, I, I'm not busting your chops because James is going to do that for me <laughs> over the next few weeks. He's going to talk to you about keeping Jesus as the central focus of my life and that he, I don't add him to the other stuff of my life. He becomes the, uh, the, the central focus of everything else. And, it, and, and, and I, I love my wife through the Jesus filter and I do my job through the Jesus filter and I raise my children through the Jesus filter filter and I spend my money through the Jesus filter. I can't compartmentalize him because he's the source of every part of my life. And that's what James is going to teach us. You can't put him on a shelf. If you have, then you're double-minded and your world's just not going to work and you can't expect to receive anything from the Lord. See, I don't have to tell you that because James is going to do it. So we're going to jump right in. I told Donna, I was like, there's no way we're going to get through this book in, in, in four, maybe five weeks, because I'm not sure we're going to get out of the first four verses this morning. Because he, he in, in the first verse, he just, there's just so much truth. The first verse, James chapter 1 says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now you think, okay, well, what's so special about that? Okay, let's look at his name. Who was James? I'm going to tell you who James was. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, how many of you had trouble with your siblings? My, my sister's watching, and so I can't say much. Can you imagine Jesus... Being your older brother. Can you imagine Mary? James, why can't you be like Jesus? James probably said, Mary, why can't you be like Jesus? Well, James, Jesus got his memory verse memorized. Seriously, he gets credit for that. Can you imagine being Jesus? Little brother. In fact, that's, that caused him some problems because James didn't believe in Jesus until much later in life. He grew up as just Jesus' little half-brother. <laughs> but look how he introduces himself. Does he say James, the half-brother of Jesus? Does he say James... The one who grew up in the same house as the Son of God. James, the one who is step in step with the Son of God. Jesus is my half-brother. That makes me somebody. I'm, I prob that's probably what I'd have done. He said, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, James, follower of God and my brother, he called him Lord. Here's what, in that tiny little first verse James was telling you, is that this Jesus that we've talked about, he's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. 
He's not just somebody that you need to pay attention to and follow his teachings. He is God. He's God. I'm, and, and some translations of, of that passage uh, where it says servant of God, it uses the phrase bondservant. It's really a, a term to mean slave. I'm a slave of God. Now listen, slavery in the context of one human being owning another human being is a horrible, horrible institution. Would you agree with that? But slavery in the context of the creator of the universe being the lover and the owner of my soul is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. See, what James was saying is before I'm, I'm, I'm anything else, before I'm anything else, before I'm Jesus' brother, before I'm an apostle, before I'm a pastor, I'm a servant of God. I'm a, a, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So write this down. James teaches us that my identity is found in Christ. Listen. Whatever else you are, before I'm a pastor, before I'm a husband, before I'm a father, before I'm a grandfather, before I'm an employee, before I'm a friend, I'm a follower of Jesus. I find my identity not in what I do, but in who purchased my salvation. And see, can I tell you, you got to get that. Because the world will tell you that what's important Watch two guys meet each other for the first time. What's the first question they're going to ask each other? What do you do? See, we find our identity in what we do for a living. Even pastors do it. We meet each other. How many people come to your church? And I have a pretty good answer. I tell them between seven and 800. Because every Sunday, somewhere between seven... And 800 people are going to show up here. Right? Y'all think I'm kidding. That's not how I find. I don't find my identity how many people show up here. I don't find my identity how many children I have. I, I, I got wonderful children. and I've got two beautiful daughters-in-law and a beautiful granddaughter and a beautiful wife. That's not where I find my identity. I find my identity in the Savior of the world who loved me and gave himself for me, purchased my soul. That's who calls me his own. I am a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where my identity is. And listen, regardless of what else you are, see, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to identify you by your struggle. I'm an addict. I struggle. I'm a, I'm a liar struggle I'm I'm uh, I'm not organized I'm I'm lazy the enemy wants to identify you by your struggle and listen we're going to talk about it in a little while we, we we need to let God help us with those struggles but I'm going to tell you that's not how he sees you God doesn't see you if you're bought with a price guess what he sees you as as righteous and complete and in him you 
live and move and have your being. Your identity is not in what you do. It's not in your failure. It's not in your job. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. Unless, of course, you don't know him. See, if you don't know him, then you're identified by what you do and, and by how you failed and how, you've, how, how broken you are. If, if, you're, if you don't know Jesus, then, then your identity is placed on you by this culture and by this world. But if you know God through his son Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's who he sees in you. <laughs> See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you where we miss it. See, James said, I'm a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we miss it. And I'm, listen, I'm an evangelist at heart. I want to see everybody in the building. I want to see everybody watching in li- online. I want to see everybody I know find Christ as Lord and Savior. But, but we, have, we have missed it, y'all, by recognizing the two very unique roles that Christ Jesus plays in your life and in mine. The two very unique roles. He, we know him as, first of all, as Savior, right? His death, burial, and resurrection provided for those who believe on his name, pardon for sin. We know him as Savior, and so many times that's where we leave it. I'm not going to hell. I'm good to go. Some of you in this room want the abundant life. Some of you that are watching online want the abundant life that only Christ can offer as his other role. We know him as Savior and and Lord. See, those are two very unique roles. As Savior, he's purchased my pardon. You with me? As Lord, he calls on those who believe on his name. To surrender all, everything, in a lifelong pursuit of becoming more like Him. We listen to God and do what He says. You think we just made that up? That's what Jesus being Lord of our life looks like. We surrender everything. Well, everything? Everything. And maybe you, you could ask yourself this question. What is, it, what is it that you wouldn't surrender for Christ? Is, is it an addiction that you wouldn't surrender for Christ? Is it a, a possession? Is it a relationship? Whatever that thing is that you wouldn't surrender for Christ, that's your Lord. That's who or what calls the shots in your life. What is it? He calls us to surrender all. And here's what it looks like. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. (laughs) So James... James experienced this for himself. I told you, James wasn't a follower of Christ. John chapter 7 says, 
his own brothers didn't even believe in him. But some years later, we see James as an apostle and a prophet and a writer in the New Testament. What happened? What, what happened for him to go from, he's my brother, he's got some crazy ideas, he's pretty good with the magic stuff, you want to hang out with him at the wedding, but this Messiah stuff, I don't know about all that. His own brothers didn't believe him until. Until he saw him rise from the dead. See, James was there when they drove the nails in his wrists, in his feet, jabbed a spear in his side. First Corinthians tells us that Jesus Calls him by name. See, and Jesus appeared to James and the other apostles. What happened? Jesus was risen from the dead. James is a witness to the power of the resurrection. And it changed his life. And he went on a quest for the rest of his life to teach and preach the power of that resurrected Savior. In fact, he stopped calling him his brother. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Lord. And this is what he gave up for him. His life. James was, and here's something you might not know about the book of James. It's like tucked on down in your, in your New Testament. It's the first book written. The first book of the New Testament written. And, and you can tell because it's all written to, the, the gospel hadn't even gone to the Gentile nation yet. It was all among Jewish believers. And the Jewish people were ticked because you're, you guys are talking too much about this Jesus. And they're like, and James was their pastor. And if we can shut him up, we'll stop the movement. So you know what they did? They took him to the top of the temple and threw him off of it. And he didn't die. They took a club and beat him to death. If we can kill him, we'll stop the movement. I wonder how that worked. We're still talking about him 2,000 years later. See, when James said, he, you lay your life down, he meant it. When James called him Lord, he meant it. And I'm going to tell you 2,000 years later, we don't mean it like he meant it. God, help us serve you as Lord. And I'm going to tell you, this kind of message doesn't pack out buildings and sell books. But it just happens to be the New Testament that if we're going to follow Jesus, we must surrender everything to him. You know what James taught us? James is about living for something worth dying for. You know, I, I think the problem is, is we've convinced ourselves that our whole existence is wrapped up in this 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we have on this, on this big blue ball. 
I'm convinced that it's not. I'm convinced that every person on this planet, every person in this room, I'm convinced that your existence exists beyond your death. So if that's true, if it's true, shouldn't we spend this time that we have on earth on something that matters? Have we, have we enamored ourselves with mindless pursuits? I wonder how the guy that invented that cassette tape I talked about earlier feels now. Obsolete, right? Even the, the compact disc. I remember getting my first CD player thinking, I am on the edge of technology. I got a CD player. I don't have any CDs. What, what are we spending our life on? See, the recipients of this letter, did you catch the word when I read the first verse? To the Jewish believers in the dispersion. What does that mean? See, the, the recipients of this letter were in a fight for their life. If you read back in the book of Acts, you'll, you'll see about the stoning of a guy named Stephen. In Jerusalem, Stephen was martyred for his faith in Christ. They literally stoned him to death. And after that happened, the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians were like, it's getting hot in here. And they scattered to neighboring communities. And so this is who Paul's writing to. Excuse me, this is who James is writing to. And here's what he says, the first, uh, the second, third, and the fourth verse. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just going to try to read that like they might have read it 2,000 years ago when he wrote. All right, so they're, they're running for their life. You, you, you getting that? And Paul says, this stuff that you're going through, count it joy. James, I, I keep saying Paul, don't I? This stuff that James said to... Count it joy. Really? We, we had to leave our home. Our, our, our families scattered. Our churches scattered. Count it joy. Yes. Here's what James, James <laughs> says to us. James reminds us that there is purpose in our pain. Can I just be so bold to say a faith test then doesn't look like a faith test today? I had a faith test not too long ago. I was in my truck, and I was talking to my oldest son, Mikey, on the phone. And it was, you know how we, summer's been kind of mild, and then all of a sudden, you know, 
hell opened a window, right? And it just got hot. And, and uh, I, was, I, turned on, I turned on my AC in my seat, which is cool. I'm just going to tell you, I never had a vehicle that had AC in the seat before, but I do now, and it's awesome. But it's just not, it's not all that. It's just a little cool. So I'm talking to Mike, and he goes, Dad, you ought to see these new trucks. It, it just instantly just cools your whole body. And I'm like, i got to buy a new truck. <laughs> I clearly have to go, because of, of this struggle that I'm in right now, my, my AC seat doesn't cool me instantly. i got to go spend a bunch of money because that's, that's the testing of my faith. You've seen it on Facebook. My faith is being tested today. Y'all pray for me. Chick-fil-A's out of waffle fries. <laughs> that is a bad thing. That's, I mean, that's not, a, that's not a test. That's a first world problem, isn't it? What James was trying to tell us, was telling them and what James is telling us, is that there's purpose in these tests. There's purpose in these trials. There's purpose in these temptations. And you can count it joy. And, and your question is, and my question is, how? How can you count these? Maybe you're sitting here and, and, and it's been divorce and disease and struggle and heartache and... and Dwayne, are you really telling me that we count that as joy? And I'm not telling you that. James is telling you that. I just happen to agree with him. See, James was there. He wasn't just, a, he didn't, wasn't just writing them a letter. He was their pastor. He loved them. And he loved them enough to tell them this. When trials come, not if trials come, but when trials come. So I'm going to tell you, maybe you're floating good right now, but it's coming. A trial's coming. A test is coming. Somebody said, you should be more positive. I'm positive a test is coming. <laughs> Depending on which translation you read, when it talks about these tests in, in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 and 4, it, some translations use the phrase temptation. Some use test. Some use trial. Which is it? Yes, yes, yes. See, we, we, we tend to look at things through a very limited lens. We look at life through our own Western, American, first world context. And, and when he talks about, uh, and he says, consider it, a pure joy, a great joy when troubles come. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Some translations say patience has a chance to grow. Any impatient people in the room? Let, let me talk to you about those two. See, some translations say patience. Some translations say endurance. So let's talk about patient endurance. Let me tell you what it's not. I was, I was riding down the road with somebody the other day, and we were talking about how anxious sitting in traffic can be. Is that true, by the way? Sitting in traffic can make you anxious? And I used, that used to be my life, and I figured out how to... 
this, this kind of patience is not, well, that just doesn't bother me that much. That's patience, but that's not what we're talking about here. Or um, have you ever grown impatient waiting on the doctor because you had a 115 appointment and it's now 205? Right? Is that, that's patience, but that's, that's not what we're talking about here. Patient endurance, this, this word that, that James is using, it's a, it's a Greek word, hupamone. And it, it would be more like the patient endurance it takes for you to finish a marathon. In, in fact, what the word literally means is being able to, the, the literal translation is to remain under load. So imagine a weight on top of you and you being able to withstand that weight. That's what James is telling us that these tests will work in your life. Being able to stand when everybody else has fallen. Being able to remain under load, under pressure. Being able to withstand the difficulties that this life can bring from time to time. And I'm not talking about waffle fries and AC seats. I'm talking about the serious stuff that this world can bring. And some of you have walked through that. Some of you have lost loved ones and you've lost marriages. And I will never forget. And some of you guys were, were with us when Mark and Melissa Ford lost their son Wesley. I will never forget that. I'll never forget listening. She called me and I'm, can you go to the hospital? Wesley's in the hospital. Can you go? Absolutely. I went and picked up Mikey and we, we, we went to the hospital. And I'm thinking I'm going to a hospital visit like good pastors do. And then right as I'm pulling in the parking lot, I get a phone call. And she is inconsolable. And she, I, I don't understand a word. And I, I realized that all of a sudden, what went from a hospital visit, Wesley had lost his life in a senseless argument with his, with his roommate. How do you, what do you do with that? How do you remain under that load? I'm going to tell you, that takes a lot of people out. There's a lot that won't be able to remain under that load. But how? How? And I began to watch this family allow the grace and the strength of God fill them in such a way. I, I spoke at Wesley's funeral, and I'm a crybaby. I'm, I'm awful. And Melissa's up there talking about her son and about the goodness of God and the strength of Christ and the promise of salvation. And she's a, she's a rock. Where does that come from? That is patient endurance that only comes through this kind of trial. Count it joy. Because these tests are going to be the ones that get you to the finish line. That word only appears twice in the New Testament. At one point, it, it, we just read it. It appears in, in the book of 1 Peter in the context 
of a worker of metals. And so here's what we understand. That a, a silversmith will take silver ore. And you know what silver ore looks like? A rock. Looks like a rock. And he'll begin to heat it and melt it. And all of a sudden, the, the impurities, they call it dross, will start to rise to the top. And he'll scoop it off and let it cool down. And you know what he'll do then? Do it again. And the impurities will rise up and he'll scoop it off. Scoop off the impurities. And he'll do this over and over and over and over again. Until it's pure. And do you know how he knows it's pure? Because the silversmith will stand over that vat and look into it. And when he can see his reflection, he'll know that all the impurities have been removed. And that's what Jesus wants from you and from me. Maybe these trials are just taking away the dross so that he, he can look at us and see himself. Could it be? Could it be? See, that passage we read said, once, once you do this, your faith will be fully developed and you'll be perfect and complete. You feel perfect. Anybody ever looked in the mirror and go, perfection. No. And, and frankly, that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's not talking about without flaw. Because ain't none of us without flaw. You, I, I look at myself and think, okay, God got a sense of humor. I'm this big man with these skinny little calves. I look like a pear with two drinking straws stuck in it. It's just not cool. It's not cool that you laugh at that at all. Is that what it means? If, if I go through these tests, I'll be without flaw. It's not what it means. See, there's that, that word doesn't mean without flaw. It means You're not lacking anything. It means everything that you need to complete you is there. You're completely complete. And here's the beauty in that. I don't need anything else to complete me. I love my wife, but that's not what completes me. I don't care what Jerry Maguire says. She, does she add to my life? Does she make my life rich? And does she bless me? Yes, that's, that's not what completes me. What completes me is Jesus. And the more I follow him, the more I look like him, and the more you look like him, and that's what that... And if that's the case, if, if going through those trials and, and having him remove those imperfections makes completes me to the point where I don't need anything else... Those are good things, and we can count them as great joy. Because he's doing a work, and there's purpose in our pain. Because Jesus is forming us, making us into his image. So write this down.
My faith in Christ isn't formed in the fire. It's refined in the fire. Dwayne, why? Why am I in this fiery trial? See, if, if you... If you, if you pick up a piece of silver ore, it looks like a rock to you. But when the silversmith picks it up, he sees inside of it. And he knows there's something of tremendous value in that ore. The reason he heats it up is to, is to bring the value. And so listen... If you're in the middle of the stuff, here's why. Because the great silversmith, Jesus, sees something precious in you. And all he's doing is refining it and molding it. If there wasn't something precious in you, you wouldn't be in the fire is what I'm trying to say. See, everybody else looks at you and sees the rock. Jesus sees the silver. Everybody else looks at, like you and, and sees the dross. Jesus, see what you're becoming. And listen, I, I don't like a trial any more than you do. But if, if Jesus is working out that thing, that stuff in me that doesn't belong, then we'll walk through it. <laughs> but, but here's... Here's the difficult part in that, in that, that beautiful story. So we need to be building our faith before the test comes. See, so many times we wait till the trial comes. We wait till the difficulty arises. Well, I better, I better get on board this Jesus thing. And, and because God's full of grace and mercy, listen. I don't know how he does it, but he just, he just does. But I, I, I'm going to tell you the challenge that you and I have is that we need to be building our faith before the trial comes, before the test comes, before the temptation comes. And, and it, well, if the, if the trial doesn't build my faith, what builds my faith? Romans 10, 17 tells you that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And what, if you want to be prepared when the test comes, and it, is it coming? Or... It's when, not if, right? If you want to be prepared when the test comes, guess what? Then you need to fill your heart with the goodness of God. You need to fill your mind with the Word of God. You need to be around people. You need to be about God's book in God's house with God's people. I don't, and, and, you know, that idea in our culture is just going away. I don't need church. I'll, I'll do my devotion in the morning, and then I'm good. And I'm going to tell you, um, I'm trying to be nice and saying what I'm trying to say. I'm going to tell you that that's not the kind of faith that will get you through the trial. Because in reality, God isn't building your faith in the fire. God's building you in the fire. Anybody ever prayed for God to deliver you from one of those trials? 
literally, I want to see your hands. You, you, do, you pray for God to deliver you from the trial, and he did not. Yeah. Me too. That was never his promise, by the way. But he did promise you. He never promised you to deliver from it. He did promise you that he'd walk with you through it. So in the time we got left, let's, I'm, I'm going to give you four next steps for this first week. Are you ready? Here we go. First thing is remember who you are. Remember who you are. I'm a child of the king. Here's what the Bible tells about me, and if he tells me about me, then it, it, the Bible tells this about you. I'm a child of the king. I have royal blood in my veins. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only, never beneath. When my enemies comes against me, come against me, they will flee seven different directions. That, that's not my encouraging word. That happens to be the Bible. When the enemy comes against me, he'll flee seven ways. And my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That Jesus knows me by name. That my heavenly Father loved me enough to send his only begotten Son into this world for my sin. And now I serve him as king, God, and master. And when the enemy tells you otherwise, you have absolute permission to call him a liar because that's what he is. Remember who you are. When the enemy tries to tell you that you're defined by your addiction, that you're defined by your past, that you're defined by your struggle, that you're defined by your relationship, you're defined by who you work with for and what you do for a living, that you're defined by your your, your social economic status, when the enemy tries to tell you and label you with all of these other things, that you're defined by your relationship status, then remember, you find your identity in the person of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Remember, I told you that everything changed when James realized that Jesus rose from the dead. And he spent the rest of his life doing this is what I'm going to tell you to do. Live a life that declares Jesus is alive. I heard, I listened to Dr. Tony Evans on Sunday mornings. And you ought to. He's awesome. And I, he, he's probably not going to send me a check for saying that, but he's awesome. I heard him say this. There should never be a closet Christian. God didn't call you to live in obscurity. We ought to live lives that declare and shout that Jesus is alive. So remember who you are. Live a life that declares Jesus is alive. Number three, find purpose in your pain. Listen, stop writing and look at me in eyeballs because there is purpose in your pain. Jesus will never waste a tear. He's using it to refine you and form you and mold you. And sometimes it's painful. I'd love to tell you that if you follow Jesus, you'll never cry, you'll never hurt, you'll never struggle. But I'm going to tell you that you may do all of those things, and you can, in those things, count it as great joy. Remember who you are. Live a life that declares Jesus is alive. Find purpose in your pain. And last, listen to this. Um, sometimes, as the silversmith is... is taking that dross away and taking off all those impurities, guess what? Um, when he does it to me, 
Sometimes you want to hang on to some of those things, don't you? You, you want to hang on to the things that don't look like Jesus. And I'm going to tell you to let go of anything in your life that doesn't look like Christ. Let, let go of, uh, of those attitudes. Anybody ever get a sorry attitude? Everybody in the room but my wife. She's, you know, she's got it going on. You know, when God begins to try to scoop that away, and, and maybe you'll, you'll, you'll see in, in your word how, how God wants you to have an attitude like Christ. And, and man, you want to hang on to that, don't you? Maybe God's dealing with you about uh, one of those things that the enemy has identified you by. And you're trying to hang on to it. We're, you know, we're hanging on to our struggles. We're hanging on to our depression because we're comfortable in it. If it doesn't look like Jesus, I'm going to tell you to let go of that. If you're having a hard time letting go of it, get somebody to help you let go of it. That's how that works, by the way. All right, Donna, come on. We're going to pray. Here's, here's how I want to pray today. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Even those watching online, I, was, I know when you're, when you're watching online, sometimes it, it looks so much like a television show, you think this is the commercial. And I, I'm going to tell you to stay focused with us because this prayer is going to be for you as well. So with nobody looking around, and I, I know I say that all the time, everybody looks around, I get it. But just today, just don't look around. Just focus in your own in your own space right there because I'm just going to ask a very honest question because I I want to pray for everybody in the room but I want to pray for two specific groups of people today um, maybe you're here and you say Dwayne I am in the middle of a test I'm in the middle of a trial I'm in the middle of a temptation I'm in the middle I'm right in the middle having a hard time counting it as joy would you pray for me that I find purpose in this pain that I see what God is trying to teach me what what he's trying to change in me and, and the truth of the matter is listen this is hard to hear y'all but he may not change the test until he changes you that test may just be about God doing a work in you can point at, at, at the environment at the struggle you can do all you, you can blame everything you want to but I'm, not, I'm just going to tell you let, let God do something in you if that's you and you're in the middle of a test you're in the middle of a trial you're in the middle of a temptation you're in the middle of a difficult place and you're having a hard time counting it as joy I want to pray for you this morning but just, just so I know who I'm praying for I just want you to put your hands in the air second group when I'm, I don't really feel like I'm in a temptation I'm not really in a trial I'm not really in them but I do believe God is calling me to let go of some things that doesn't look like him maybe it's an attitude maybe it's an action maybe it's an addiction maybe it's an I, I, I don't know but there's some things that God is dealing with you about letting go of because it doesn't look like him 
And, and you say, Dwayne, I don't think it's sin. I, well, that, that wasn't the question. Does it not look like Jesus? And if it's, if it's preventing you from reflecting Jesus, then, it, then it's a problem for you. You say, Dwayne, I'm having a hard time letting go of some stuff. I want to pray for you. Just put your hand in the air, just like before. Amen. Amen. Pray together. Father, in Jesus' name. Come on, y'all. I need you to pray with me. Because here's what you need to know. Maybe you didn't put your hand in the air, but I promise you somebody close to you did. Here's what they need. They need for not just Pastor Dwayne, but for every one of you to. You, you don't know who it was, but you know it was somebody. And maybe you're not in the middle of a trial, but wouldn't you want somebody to... I want you to pray for somebody else like you'd want somebody to pray for you if you were in the middle of a, of a dark place, in the middle of a difficult circumstance, in the middle of a trial. I want you to pray for them like you'd want them to pray for you. I want you to ask God to do something spectacular. See, what you don't see is people online that, that, that are in the middle of a struggle. So I want you to pray with me for them. Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you that when everybody else just saw a rock, you saw something valuable in me, and you saw something valuable in everyone in this room and everyone watching online. When everyone else just saw a lump of rock, you saw us. It's valuable. You gave your life for us. You set us free the bonds of sin and death. And today, you're calling us to become more like you. So God, I pray for those that are in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a difficult season, in the middle of a temptation, in the middle of a test. Thank you for the promise that even though you may not deliver us from it, will walk with us through it. So God, I pray for those that are God, not even excited about opening their eyes in the morning because they know they're facing another day. <laughs> God, help them find purpose in their pain. And God, I believe that you're going to do a work. You, your, your word promises us that you comfort the brokenhearted. So, God, I believe that, that you're going to do that for somebody in this room today and somebody watching online. You're comforting the brokenhearted, those that are struggling this morning. You're, you're bringing comfort. Your eyes are searching the whole earth, finding someone to strengthen. And I believe that you found people in this room watching us online today to strengthen. God, I pray for those that are just hanging on to stuff that you're calling them to let go of. And so, God, I, from, help us let go of our stuff that doesn't look like you. Attitudes and actions and behaviors that, that dim the reflection of Jesus. God, we want to look more like you to a world that's so desperate for you. And so today, we let go of those things that we're hanging on to things that don't look like you. And with the help and strength of your Holy Spirit, God, we, we will 
we won't pick them up again. God, we declare that we need your help to let go. We need your help to, to leave them alone. We need your help to let go of those things, those attitudes and behaviors, those, the, the, those resentments from the past and the anger and the hurt. It's hard to let go of some of those things, but God, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit who is able and more than able to do exceedingly abundantly above all. We can ask or imagine, so I pray for those. Too. Pray for me today. God, help me to let go of that stuff that doesn't look We worship you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Pry our fingers. Just sing that line. Pry our fingers from the earthly. Let us love your glory. Everything is ours. Everything is ours in you. of praise for his goodness. Have a great, great, great afternoon.